Dolphin Dolly. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 377. Jason Lingren is with me, and we have two guests, Lewis Everett and Yvonne Burton. You can find them online on YouTube, and I believe there's a, bro- a blog uh, called Ides of the Apocalypse, and I will use that to identify them in the episode image if anyone has spelling issues or they just want to look up where they can find them. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a beautiful good morning. So we met Lewis and Yvonne. I don't know. It's been probably over a month now, and it was a very interesting meeting because what they had done is they'd applied the kind of style of logic that we use for most of our shows to Edgar Allan Poe, and they realized that Poe was basically a tool, as a matter of fact, and I'm not 100% sure they'll correct me, but it seems like Poe, if he was a real man, and we'll ask about that too, had all this positive material. And yet, all we remember him for is what Vincent Price did and probably like the Hammer horror films, all the kind of negative, dark connotations. With that, welcome, Lewis and Yvonne. Hello. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, let me let me ask you just a question out the gate. Had you not caught any of the Crow podcasts, do you think you would have got where you were going here nonetheless? No, this is instrumental. And I was going to say, you know, we've been listening on Benjamin for a while. And I think he's the one that turned me on to you maybe a couple of years ago. I can't remember how I've been subscribed for a while now. I don't miss a show. So there's so many people we listen to and different, you know, ideas. And we just, me and Yvonne have been history buffs and literature buffs. And we're we're just seeing the world anew. And it's actually very exciting. Yeah, kind of deconstructing what we thought that we knew about history and realizing that most of it's wrong. So, you know, you can fall down a lot of rabbit holes, but I think there are a lot of stories from history that serve a purpose. If you can, uh, we'll never know the truth, you know, on Edgar Allan Poe, was he real or everything that they've said about him, but there are certain stories in history where it is important to go, you know, revisit it because they're used for a particular tool and Eureka uh, when we stumbled upon that, I think the fact that they ignored it and that nobody that has ever heard of Edgar Allan Poe that I've talked to has ever even heard of it. And so it was just it was just interesting. And why would they leave it out? So it's there to be found. They didn't erase they didn't it. They black hole it completely. Well, let's let's do a little definition here, Yvonne. Tell people what Eureka is and give it the Reader's Digest cliff notes. Okay, so Eureka, it's it's Poe's he considered it his masterpiece. So that's another interesting point. The fact that it's left out of all of the anthologies and he considered it his masterpiece, but it's about his, his trying to wrap his brain around the universe and God. And when you start delving into Eureka, it's a, it's a hard read on, in some parts, but in other parts, it's very, you know, it's a prose poem. So it's very uh, eloquent. So it's very satisfying to read, but it's, he believed that he believed in the creator. He believed in God and that the one source and that we all come from that one source and we're all trying to get back to that one source. So it, it almost, you know, you're making the claim that it was like his golden thing that he did, but even in the name, it feels like we're going to get alchemical in this conversation because we can take the word Eureka and I have not looked up the definition, but I know there's going to be a gold association. And so in, in what nature shows us that's as pure as it gets, but I'm reasonably sure you're going to take us down that road here. Right. And it actually goes past the so-called Eureka moment that Archimedes did, which is later in our notes as well. Which is also golden, right? Just so everybody knows, Archimedes is quoted as having said, Eureka, what was he doing? He had a golden crown. He was trying to figure out the volume or something like that. So he dropped it in water at this place. So just so you know, even in in that famous cliche connotation, there's a direct correspondence to gold. Right. But, you know, with Eureka, there was an anonymous reviewer of Eureka back when it was first written. And this man said, perhaps Poe saw the universe as more a poem than machine. And we have in our notes here that at the time, Poe was as much a threat to the religionists as he was to the scientismos of his day. And I think that's a big part of the reason why he was kind of call it shadow band of the 1840s. Right. This is, you know, for... For people who have followed here a while, you know, it's difficult to do this podcast for the simple reason 
the language we use is mainstream language mostly. And as these history buffs will tell you, history is in fact a lie agreed upon to the point where probably, and I'll ballpark it, last couple, two, three hundred years, something like that, there's a reset that hides all the things about our world when it was, for lack of better language, right or closer to nature, more acceptable. Let's let's try that. And what they have done, uh, the controllers, I guess we'll just call them for the sake of this conversation, is they've taken the things that are right on the money that everybody should know, and they've used them in public, sometimes even shown the true definition, and then they rebrand it. And so that's really what I appreciate about what you guys are bringing to the table here, because it kind of looks like Edgar Allan Poe was a good guy trying to communicate good things. And yet all we remember is, Oh, some dude got walled up in a dungeon and, you know, yeah. killed down there. <laughs> right. Well, everything that we know about Poe that's taught in school, he, it's dark. He was an alcoholic atheist. Yeah. He's an atheist. All of, I mean, not only are these things wrong, they're polar opposites. A rebranding. It's, it's, uh, it just blows my mind. I, I've been going through all these historical things that relate to alchemy. And I'll ask the question right now. And I'll tell you how, I, when I hear a name like Poe at this point in my life, I assume it's just a made up character um, because I don't have time to go back and try to prove something out, but I've seen enough of the big names. But in this case, we're seeing a flip-flop, right? Probably a guy writing helpful things. And all we think is he did horror movies. Uh, you know, Vincent Price attached his shadow to everything Poe that we're aware of. So I'll ask you the question. Do you suppose Poe was actually a real living man in our world? I, I lean towards that. Yeah. Because I, I, I liken him to, uh, we, we did a part two on this after we spoke to you guys last month and we called it the, the blue checks uh, before the internet, you know, and, what I found uh, Eureka from was reading a Michael Hoffman book. He mentions it along with Christopher Marla. And so I got to thinking back, you know, where the blue checks back in those days was, was Poe a blue check. And then he said too many truths and bucked the system. And he got, you know, kind of deplatformed and Samuel Clemens was a, a blue check. And then Christopher Marla was, you know, murdered and deplatformed and was, was Shakespeare, the blue check of his day to Christopher Marlowe. And, I just, it, it just started striking. And that's why I lean, part of the reason why I lean towards Poe being real is that he said some, you know, when you get into Eureka and I still haven't finished this book and I've had it a year and it's just, I keep right. going back and rereading parts and to try to digest it. You know, this man put a lot of thought into this and it's, it's, it's uh, me and Yvonne don't fully understand it, but we know that there's beauty in that book. And he took on, uh, like this one girl will mention later on, she kind of dissected Eureka as well and said, you know, is it a philosophical treatise? Is it a scientific? And then you get into where his critics started saying, well, who is he to expound on these things? He's not qualified to talk about this. And Pope basically says, you know, there's more ways to truth than just these certain avenues. And part of it is even dreams and intuition. And that's, you know, I think that was uh, uh, going to, you know, too close to letting human beings be, you know, know how powerful they are. Right. And the, the interesting thing about Eureka with it, he thought it was his masterpiece and he had even planned for the next, the following year, a, a bunch of um, events where he would be delving more into it and speaking. And when he would speak in public, he could draw like 1500 to 2000 people. And strangely enough for Eureka, he, he only drew like 60, 60 people which was kind of a disappointment for him because he was trying to raise money. Uh, he was starting a new uh, a venture, a, a, a publishing platform called The Stylist. So he was kind of let down with that. Eureka, after it was published, it was, what was it, a year later that he mysteriously died? Yeah, about a year. So there's a lot of mystery attached, you know, with the death of Poe, but there's more to Eureka than perhaps all of his other works. And for whatever reason, they they don't want you to know about it or to be in the mainstream. So one of the first things, well, I'll, I'll say two things. You know how I deal with this because I don't have time in my life to try to figure out if somebody actually existed, knowing that there's a complete history of the world that I know nothing about, knowing that every map, which should tell people everything they need to know, every map you've seen is false. It's fraudulent. 
sometimes I glance at their birth dates, but that gets to be tedious. And in this case, uh, according to Google, he was born on January 19, which would make that a 9-11 encode. Right. And then he died on October 7. Uh, the birth date is 1809. And according to the internet, 1849. But what we know for certain, which is why I think these conversations are so valuable, is the content exists. And so for me, so many times I've got this content, I think it's important, like Einstein is a good example, but I don't accept Einstein for a second. And even if he was real, it's pretty clear that he was just a, an actor on a stage is the way he was used. So then the content, well, we have the content, we have the writing. And some of those things feel to me like they were pulled from a much earlier time that we know nothing of and rebranded to someone. So when we get to someone like Poe, the question becomes, what does it mean? And is it valuable? And by the way, is it trying to warp my mind in some unhelpful way? Right. But mm -hmm. Jason, these bullets are so beautifully written. I kind of feel like we should be putting them on the record. What do you think? Well, yeah, let's do that. But let's see, we went through Eureka already. Let's just pick up it too to get them on the record. And if, uh, if Lewis and Yvonne want to comment on each, we'll get up to where, where we need to be. Was Edgar Allan Poe pigeonholed as being obsessed with death and the macabre. Eureka is why this work is absent from many of his anthologies. And I could probably amend that, that it could be that Eureka is absent from all of his anthologies. Yeah. I have a 19, early 1900s copy that was in a library. It's a whole set, and I'm reasonably sure Eureka is not in it. Right. So what is Eureka about, by the way? Is it a story? Well, it's he called it a prose poem, and... It's, it is very thick. And, you know, the, the subtitle is an essay on the material and spiritual universe. And he gets into how we can get to truth. And there's some bullet points later on that kind of narrows it down, uh, bringing in philosophers and stuff. But he, he, his, it seems to me like his basic part was that these people talking to the cosmologists and the religion, all of these people, they can't prove what they're saying. He go. He starts right. going off. Right. The, the knowledge that was passed on from Aristotle and Newton, he kind of takes those on, uh, even mocking. Uh, we, I get the feeling maybe he didn't believe that Aristotle was a real person, nicknaming him Air, Aries, Aries Tottle. The Tottle. And, and specifically saying Aries and with the ram. Right. And, that, you know, after 1,500 years of... We've just accepted what they have brought forward to us. They kind of, we do the same thing now with gravity. He takes on gravity too. He thought that gravity was magnetism and electricity was the opposing. And that basically that he kind of explains gravity as magnetism is what he's putting forth and that there was a perfect unity in the beginning and that was God and God is still here, but God is everything. And that electricity is what pulls everything apart there's a natural tendency to want to go back to that perfect unity and the, the creation itself and the ongoing creation is what keeps it apart of what, you know, the world we see. If I could give you just a line from the book, uh, an intelligence exists greater than your own. And it is only through this intelligence that you live at all. I want to make a comment here because some of the things you're pointing out are so critically important. And I, I use the word alchemy to describe when we start talking about gold, silver and all these things, which they're just reflections of that intelligence that you just inferred. Right. When he said Aries Tottle, in my mind, what it means instantly is, as an example, all our maps are lie in this world, and we still have Cancer and Capricorn as the tropics. That means they're over 2,000 years out of date. I've known this forever. But what it further means is we were probably in the age of Aries. And by the way, Aries is the crown of your head. That's what it represents. And now we went to the fishes down to the feet. Think about what happens when you go from a sign that represents the top of your head down to a sign that represents the bottom. If there's going to be a fall all the way from the top of your head down to the bottom of your feet, there is going to be a fall. And then we see Aries always is the sheep, like in the Bible. Well, that's a baby ram, a helpless baby ram. And in some ways, when you see people use that language, Aries Tottle, I think they're referencing the controllers marking a point where they start hiding everything that's true. And anyone who's going to use the kind of alchemical ideas is trying to use the truth that is demonstrable in nature. In other words, these jackasses, whoever they are, have really done a number on what's true and what's real, but we still have 
these representations of what nature proves were real. And when you used Aries in the way you just did as a quote, uh, I think it, it speaks volumes. And on that, he says, uh, we walk about amid the destinies of our world existence, encompassed by dim but ever-present memories of a destiny more vast, very distant in the bygone time, and infinitely awful. I think that relates to what you just said. You guys are hooking me up. Now I've got to go get this long old (laughs) book and read it. But it occurs to me also, some of the real big tomes that are milestones in all culture are poems as like the the original Iliad or Metamorphosis. These things are all written as what I guess we'd currently call them poetry prose. Yeah. And that's what he called this uh, a prose poem. Let me just give you one more that was interesting to me. Let us endeavor to comprehend that the final globe of globes will instantaneously disappear and that God will remain all in all. There it is. I mean, to me, any, any kind of debunking or trying to reflect reality at the idea of the globe is a direct poke in the eye to, I guess for this conversation, I'll just keep calling them the controllers, which is pretty lame, but you know, people know what I'm getting at. So Yvonne and uh, Lewis, what bullet points did Jason pick up on? Well, three, we pretty much, we discussed Vincent Price. Four is uh, Poe, you know, Poe was a catalyst for several genres of writing. He, Poe was the father of American literature to me, in my opinion. He, he spawned mystery detective, science fiction, horror. Uh, he was the father of the modern short story in America. And, you know, he made his living at the time, not as a fiction writer, but as an editor. And his, his goal was to lift up other writers and develop the American writing scene. And so he was to separate out. To separate from England. Right. Because we it was a still young country at the time. And that was supposedly part of the whole deal of making us distinct. Right. Well, that that's a bit ironic too, because if I'm not mistaken, those horror films that use so much Poe fodder, I think those were filmed in London. Hammer, maybe yeah. I forget which one. This is true. Uh, uh, another FYI is that um, he wrote more comedy than horror. Right, um, and he's he's a witty guy. That seems kind of ironic. Yeah, it's very ironic because um, you know most of the the comedy is not included in any of the anthologies either. He would. Uh, he wrote an article, which was hilarious to me, called How to Write a Blackwood Article. And Blackwood at the time was a prominent newspaper, a very popular one. Huh. And he was mocking. He was telling you how to write it and, you know, use big words, come up with an absurd story. A lot of his comedy is it's it's very good. And they were he was he was trying to be funny, but he was jabbing at, at, at these. Yeah, I was taking down the blue checks of his day. Cows. Well, I think, it, you know, if what we're pointing down is down the middle of the road, you can see exactly why. I mean, we use the word deplatform now, but he was basically rebranded. They just co-opted all his work uh, and they rebranded in that way. But I'm thinking, Jason, why don't we pick up at four and then try to get these in? Poe was the catalyst for several genres of writing, mystery detective, science fiction, horror, and is the father of the modern short story. For America, you mean? Right, for America. Right. And, you know, the Edgars are the Mystery Writer Awards. They're named after him. Oh, wow. And so many writers credited him, and that's in the next bullet point. We can, it can be, all be covered at the same time. You know, his Detective Depin uh, is what Conan Doyle based Sherlock Holmes on. Because uh, Poe was a, he was a cryptologist, like he liked cryptography too. His, right. Some of his stuff had puzzles and stuff in there, and he was very smart with that. And, we actually, I forgot it in our notes, but the, um, one of the guys who was a big cryptologist with the NSA at the beginning of the National Security Administration, he credits Poe with his being influenced and direct, you know, making his life's work. It might be more evidence that Poe wasn't real. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> well, look, Jason's going to pick up on five and it's basically a who's who of the cryptocracy, right? Uh, right, who right. Are they? Jason, go ahead. Tell them who they are. <laughs> Many creators name Poe for their inspiration. Ray Bradbury, Alfred Hitchcock, H.P. Lovecraft, H.G. Wells, Arthur Conan Doyle, and Rudyard Kipling, who said, the debt I owe Edgar Allan Poe is a heavy one. And I, I mean, <laughs> these, these are the supposed writers. Jason and I have covered two or three of these that are course, directly in the royal circles, the circles of power. But these are the folks who laid down the things that shaped so-called Western culture uh, for so long. 
And I will inject real quickly is that there's another author who uh, commented about Edgar Allan Poe's Eureka at the time, Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Aldous uh, Huxley said he called Eureka vulgar. Yeah, you want yeah. Jason, <laughs> tell people who Huxley is again so they can actually know what true vulgarity is. Well, Aldous Huxley, along with his brother Julian, were uh, lower rungs of elitists, I guess you could say, and were heavily involved with eugenics and all the other crazy stuff going on in the 20th century. And referenced by the Tavistock Institute and actually used in some of the playbook, there's direct correlation to these authors. And again, it goes without saying when we're talking about these insider baseball people, they're right there. I don't even know what to call them, lords. They're in the circle of what I call royalty just to give the impression at what level of society they are. And I, to be fair, I have not looked at the bloodlines, but I mean, come on, Brad Pitt's related to George Bush. Do we really need to look? <laughs> Honestly, I'd just like to label them all bucketheads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know how though, for whatever reason, they have to they have to tell you the truth or have to tell you what they're doing because it won't carry otherwise, right? And that there has to be some truth in what they're putting forth because we're we're attracted to truth. And I think that Eureka might be part of that that them having to tell the truth. Poe said about or he's I think it's on the last I can't remember somewhere in the book where he said the. The plots of God are perfect. The universe is a plot of God. I think that's a profound statement. Also coming from Poe, who wrote it, he specifically used the word plot, assuming he's a real man. Yeah. So I think Eureka's good even for just the truth drops that they have to put in there. What's in a word? Do you guys do a definition? Do you guys actually do a verbatim definition anywhere on these points? I did get into where the that comes out of uh, Greek, and there's actually a, a, a use of it in the Iliad, and that's why I get to the Archimedes later on in the second hour. All right, I won't give the meaning in Greek until we get there, but let's point out some things that are, you know, they're they mean something on their own. If I'm not mistaken, the California flag uses Eureka, and what is California? It's the Golden State, right? Um, so it, it goes to show you how kind of depraved our minds have become literally falling from the top of our heads down to the bottom of our feet from Aries to the fishes in one fell swoop. That's the biggest fall we could have if the Zodiac works like I think it does. The point I would make here is whoever made the California flag, they knew what Eureka represented. They knew it was all about gold. Whoever gave us the, the story about you know Archimedes or whoever the heck it was supposed to be saying, Eureka, I know the volume of this golden crown. The point is, is that none of us learned this in school, but all of them, they knew. And how is that? You know, I think it's an important point to you, Jason. In Eureka, Poe took head on the religious and scientific narrative of the time. He mocked pillars of this narrative, such as Newton, Aristotle, Sir Francis Bacon, and the way concepts like gravity and infinity were explained. All right, you guys pick this up because I'm starting to like Poe more with every bullet point. And this is where he starts really jabbing and yeah. in a humorous way. And he, he goes off on uh, Kepler as well. He actually said something to the effect that Newton borrowed his ideas of gravity from Kepler and Kepler admitted that he guessed. Right. He takes on, um, <laughs> and so he takes on uh, infinity, mocks the, the concept of infinity and that people had just accepted knowledge that had been passed through the ages as facts when it was it's not anything that you can prove and that he believed in a finite world. He he even mentioned somewhere in the book talks about the firmament, but he goes hard at in infinity, that it's it's a ridiculous and absurd notion that cannot be proven, that everything is finite, and that these scientists, they he talked about how they would give certain people credibility, Newton and Aristotle, and whatever they said was gold, regardless of whether you know you couldn't prove gravity. He takes on gravity. He says that there's no, it hasn't been proven. It process over results is what they right. favored. The kind of brief ideas in this bullet point are near and dear to my heart because infinity is a correspondent extreme of me taking on zero to point out that not only is your complete system fugazi counterfeit with bad malice intent the idea of zero does not exist in nature so that is just like the birth certificate there's really no difference between zero and a birth certificate there's a real baby here 
we can hold this baby. We can love this baby. But some jackass made a birth certificate and then claimed there were two babies. They never told anybody there were two babies. And really, there are not two babies. But now all the fake systems of the world are going to fake like two babies. But even worse, they're going to act as if the two babies are actually one baby. It's this complete, unreal gymnastics. And when he takes on infinity, which I wasn't even aware of this, it is the extension of taking on zero and what we learned from nature, which clearly Poe is referencing because he knows it's truth that can't be ridiculed, is that anything created will see its end. If it has a beginning, it has an end. And so these are. this is such an important bullet point. And gravity, someone taking on gravity back then, I'm sure he got some swift kicks in the cojones for doing that. But we now know um, it's density. Density is what causes things to fall. But like you said, can you prove gravity? Nope, not never. And that's what protects it. What was Poe's educational background? You know what? That's one part we missed. No, that's a good question. I wonder if he was mostly self-educated and that was part of the reason why. Well, I know his uh, education was cut short because he was adopted Uh, After his father died early on by a man. And this man, uh, they had kind of a a difficult hot and cold relationship. relationship. And so he paid for him. He actually, he went to West Point Point. Uh, in his, this is another thing. He, he was a very, he got to be very technical with, I think he was in an artillery unit and you'll, you'll know how important this is. Crow is he attained the rank of Sergeant major Oh wow! in his unit. If things had happened differently in his life, he might have gone on to be a great general in the Civil War or something. Yeah, and so his benefactor, or whatever you'd call him, um, he stopped paying for his education, so he had to drop out. And actually, before West Point, he was going to another university years before that, and his benefactor had pulled out early on that, too. So he never completed his education. Let me just uh, give you a a quote from the book on uh, Infinity. He says, nevertheless, as an individual, I may be permitted to say that I cannot conceive infinity and am convinced that no human being can. He said that it was folly endeavoring to prove infinity itself. It is. And, you know, when I started to go at zero, it's like going at gravity. Everybody accepts gravity. Everybody accepts zero. You can't use our mathematics without accepting zero. But this is the real problem. If nature proves what is true, and I accept that that is the gospel, the best gospel we can get to is nature will tell you what is real, what is not, what is true, what is not. If we created a whole system for existence and 50% of it is based on a lie, a fabrication, a counterfeit idea that cannot be reflected in the truth of nature, then what does it tell you about everything we do with zeros? And is there anything we do in the current day without zeros? As a matter of fact, before the digital age, we use zero quite a bit. In the digital age, it became half of everything we do, if you want to frame it up in the right way. And it's interesting to me that he was a sergeant major, because that typically means you've done very well or you're inside somehow, but he's a sergeant major. That's enlisted. That is not an officer. Not like he's a colonel. (laughs) Right. And it also, but what's interesting is it claims the University of Virginia. So why was he enlisted? Why, you know, if you, if you went to college, how come he didn't go in as an officer? And if it's West Point, well, West Point is known for turning out officers. It's, It's a lot to look at. He did say that gravity or the fact of gravitation was the most momentous and sublime of all truths. And then went on, it went on to debunk it. But even back then, so that, you know, you're talking 1840s, he's questioning the whole concept of gravity and, and that it can't be proven and that it's not really a law. Well, it's, it's a, right now, they're, they lie so much for a living. They're starting to use words that never would have been allowed. Um, they're trying to make it law-like, and they've even redone the definition of theory online, um, that a theory that's been around long enough is acceptable kind of idea. The truth about a theory is it hasn't been proven, and gravity is a theory based on a theory. It requires two theories. It's basically, it's a theory supposedly, but you need a, an experiment where you can pull out different denominators and, and then put them back in and prove, and so gravity is barely a concept. Right. He, does, he goes on to say that, yes, Kepler was essentially a theorist, but this title now of so much sanctity was in those ancient days a designation of supreme contempt. Hmm. Hmm. 
He also, in the book, talks about the duality of two modes. The, there's a choice between two modes of discussion. It's either this or that. It's nothing new under the sun. One of the things that led me to look for ways to come up with a clever way to lay down a thing that's not arguable, per se, that reaches out in so many directions. So the first time I did it, I was getting tired of aliens probing people's butts without their permission. So I did Crow's Law of HD and that helped a lot. Well, not too, too long ago, I did Crow's Law of Theory, which goes at exactly what Poe is going at here. That theory, or actually I'm calling it a law. Any theory that remains unproven for years is a speculation. Now to even say those words could be arguable, except that the word speculation is in the definition of theory, the real definition. So any theory that remains unproven for years is a speculation of diminishing value and will therefore tend to be applied as propaganda in support of scientism. The only reason that people can really come at this because I use the word tend when I call it a law and those two things don't go together, but nonetheless, I'll let it stand out there, but it's for the same reason. And so if I living in the century we live in found the problem that he addressed so long ago, it should scream all day that there's an issue here that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. All right. Well, he says that the word infinity, it arose out of a, out of a need <clears throat> for something, but he said that the representative, all it is, is but a thought of a thought. That's how he described infinity. <laughs> I love that. I love that language. As regards that infinity now considered the infinity of space, we often hear it said that its idea is admitted by the mind, is acquiesced in, is entertained on account of the greater difficulty, which attends the conception of a limit. That might be a little deep. A lot of this stuff is too <laughs> I, heavy. I wish I had that skill with language. Oh, but, you know, oh, yeah. that kind of skill doesn't go unrecognized. But here we are pulling into the, the next bullet point. And there's so much we can add here because this next bullet point proves that what this man is doing, we call it alchemy now, but it didn't need a name like that back in the day. It was just the laws of nature. It was natural science. In other words, it was respect for the creation. And that was not a thing you messed with. But go ahead, Jason, pick up on Aristotle. Aristotle the Ram, a Turkish philosopher, Ares, surnamed Tottle. The best names are wretchedly corrupted in two or 3,000 years. <laughs> and this is lifted from page 10 and 14 of which book? Eureka? Eureka. Okay, there it is, man. There's a lot we can lay down here. But I mean, are you guys with me? I don't know how much attention you pay to the sky clock. But if we lay the human body down on the Zodiac, and this can be confirmed to some of the oldest things we can say, uh, Aries the Ram would be the top of the head, the apex, the highest. And then if you go all the way around to the last sign, you come to Pisces, the fishes, that's your feet. Uh, are you guys with me that that represents just an almost unimaginable fall? Right. And you going back to the fall of, of man. Right. And just tying it in. So she's got um, some excerpts here. After he calls Air, he, he calls him called Aries and surnames Toddle. He goes on to say the fame of this great man depended mainly upon his demonstration that sneezing is a natural pr provision by means of which ever profound thinkers are enabled to expel superfluous ideas through the nose. But he obtained a scarcely less valuable celebrity as the founder, or at all events, as the principal propagator of what termed the deductive or a priori philosophy. You know, when you're in school and you start hearing words like, well, that's Aristotelian, you should already know there's poppycock afoot, right? Right. <laughs> Right. It's like Christopher Columbus, pre-Columbian. When I was young, I said, well, what does that mean? What does Columbia have to do with the United States? No, 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 no. It's the man who discovered this place. That's what pre-Columbian means. It's before Columbus. Um, do we even need to point out the poppycock and all that? Well, I like how he, he writes that uh, the Arist Aristotelians erected their castles upon a basis far less reliable than air. He goes on to say, for no such things as axioms ever existed or can possibly exist at all. But I like that they erected their castles upon a basis far less reliable than air. Uh, so such skilled use of the language that we are corrupting as we speak. Yeah. He says, a thing cannot act where it is not. Darkness cannot proceed from light. This is all in the section where he's debunking gravity and, and infinity 
contradictions cannot both be true, that is, cannot coexist in nature. Yeah, the, there it is outright, right? He's doing exactly what I base my life on. If it can't be shown to be correct or true in nature, then it's just an idea at best or, you know. Right. And where parts of the book are, are too, too complicated for me to understand that he'll, he'll go on to a more simple concept like a tree, Mr. Mill asserts, must be either a tree or not a tree. Very well. And now let me ask him why. To this little query, there is but one response. I defy any living man to invent a second. The sole answer is this, because we find it impossible to conceive that a tree can be anything else than a tree or not a tree. Yeah, that's another thing he, uh, that I, I think I read somewhere uh, where he's he's saying just because we can't conceive it doesn't mean. Yeah, he goes there. on on the next page. He says that a tree can be both a tree and not a tree is an idea which the angels or the devils may entertain and which no doubt many on earthly <clears throat> bedlamite or transcendentalist does. Uh, you just when you start reading things like this, while always pointing out the odyssey, the these old things, you just get smarter just from reading it because it forces your brain to try to get back to, I don't know, a saner way of thinking, but here we are pulling into eight. You guys have anything more to add there about uh, Mr. Aristotle? No, there'll be a little bit more later. I think that must be Tuttle in our time, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Edgar Allan Poe challenged what Isaac Newton had deduced about gravity from the laws of Johannes Kepler. Kepler, however, admitted that he had guessed at these laws. Isn't this a reflection of our modern time where things like remdesivir, anyone who looks up the study can see a 50% plus mortality rate and yet they're using it. So it implies that either you've got a semi-evil mind at best or someone too lazy to do their job. What Poe, if he existed as we think he may have, took the time to say, where did these ideas come from? And he went back to the starting point and the man said, guess what? These are all guesses and you can't prove them. And I actually dove into that part of it just trying because Poe is the he wrote Newton deduced gravity from Kepler and Kepler admitted that he guessed. And so I started to look and try to find that. And it was hard, but I did find one section somewhere. It's like it's they're not going to hide it completely, but you got to look for it. And I, I can't remember where I went, but I found that, you know, Kepler uh, they had a quote. And who knows if that's true, but he, he does say where he just he made assumptions when he came up with Kepler's laws. You know, to me, for that kind of thing, even to go on in an era that had way more common sense than we've got going on, because the further away from the scrub point, all we've done is fall and become more befuddled. Sounds to me like Kepler, if there was such a man, got a directive from the people who were busy making up globe nonsense and pushing their illegitimate mind warping models. This, this screams to me that someone must have said, Hey, Kepler, you're pretty good at math that nobody understands. Go up and come up with this component we need. And when he did it in an age of common sense, he was so abashedly embarrassed of trying to push it as true. He says, you know, here it is, but I'm just guessing. Right. And then so they they brand these guys, they give them the credibility. We have to listen to these guys and their their truths. And then they bring forward those truths through the pulpits and then in our schooling. um, Poe even says that then the persons thus suddenly elevated by the Hoggian philosophy into a station for which they were unfitted, thus transferred from the schooleries into the parlors of science, from its pantries into pulpits. Then these individuals, a more tolerant, a more intolerable set of bigots and tyrants never existed on the face of the earth. You used a descriptive term there, if I'm not mistaken. Hoggian is referring to Bacon, Francis Bacon. Yes. And so what, what does that mean to us all listening? There's a man named Bacon. Why don't they call his ideas Baconian or Franciscan or, you know, but what they're doing is saying Bacon comes from a pig. So what does that tell us? I think that was part of Poe's humor and digging at him because they probably were saying Baconism, but he said, no, that's, these are hoggists. So is Poe the, the architect of the hoggian or hoggism idea? Yeah, that's yeah. in Eureka. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I, I still love that quote. It bears repeating. A more intolerable set of bigots and tyrants never existed on the face, on the face of, of the earth. earth. You have to remember at the time. Okay, so Poe was a southerner. And the literati was a lot of more northern. They were northern. So there was kind of a class issue there going on. And the same thing now when when somebody now puts forth truth and then the mainstream media will come by and smear them. 
that was going on with Poe in those days. But the authors and that society, the big names and all, you know, supposedly if they're real names, they all revered him and wanted his his praise or his his promotion. Because you know, back then, word of mouth was the main way that they were promoted. All right. Next point. The simple truth is that Aristotelians or Rams erected their castles upon a basis far less reliable than air. That's another thing about Aristotelians. Um, it's been so used in modern day scientism. It's called Aristotelians most of the time, although I'm not sure if there's a change in the spelling, but I guess we're ready to jump into 11 here. Yeah. Poe had plans to expand on Eureka with national lectures and a magazine. And that goes back to where he was in his life when he died. Is that supposedly, you know, this drunk atheist that was found in a gutter? He was depressed. and and He had a lot to live for going. And that's that's kind of coming up in some of the later bullet points, too, in detail. He's considered as Southern, but if I'm not, wasn't he supposedly born in Boston? So was he, did he move South at a very early age? I believe when his, whoever took over, his last name was Alan. I can't remember his name. Uh, when his when his father died and his mother also died young, he ended up moving after that. Like when he was two or three. Yeah, I can already hear the people listening to this going out to prove Edgar Allan never existed, but that is fine. <laughs> um, that is fine. Well, I, I kind of asked for it when I showed his birthday. It was a verbatim nine eleven code. As he's taken on all these sacred cows, the, the concepts of, of gravity and infinity, and then these people like Aristotle and Bacon and others, as he's wrapping up that chapter, he says, contradictions cannot be both true, that is, cannot exist in nature. So he, he goes through the first part of the book, debunking what everybody accepts as truth, like gravity and um, infinity, and then he uses... He's going into the next part of the book, which is where he's talking about what is the universe. The more obvious fact of astronomy were unknown to the reader. So he's, he's debunks everything that they said, and he's trying to start you, you know, from scratch for the next part of the book. Uh, the choice is not made between two difficulties. It is merely fancied to be made between two impossibilities. A task may be more or less difficult, but it is either possible or not possible. There are no gradations. So are we ready to move on? On 15, uh, see, these are the kind of common sense questions that paid dividends. Go ahead, Jason. The point is to show this creation and how we can discern it as we are a part of it. Gravity is the action of the many returning to the one, the creator. This is where he got into electricity being a, a, that, that vehicle, I guess, for creation. And that cre- electricity is pulling it all apart. It's the opposite of gravity. Does he ever imply that there is only one force, actually, and that would be electricity? Um, some people can't forget electromagnetism, so they say it in the same breath. Uh, I like the way Russell did it, magnetism being the daughter of the one force, electricity. Right, and I, I think he was trying to insinuate or postulate that magnetism was the actual to explain gravity. When he was just debunking gravity, he was calling the magnetism the that natural force of all of creation wanting to get back to that perfect unity. That one source. All right, we covered the melancholy. Let's jump in. And again, here's a question where if we, every time we saw something presented to us, we asked this simple question, a lot of times it would uncover the fraud instantly. The myths of his death. Who wrote his obituary? There it is. Who, who wrote his obituary, guys? Oh. Yeah, it's that guy from uh, Christmas Vacation, Griswold. Bitter enemy in life. Rufus Griswold wrote a, wrote a book called the, uh, what is it? The Anthology of American, uh, of American Poetry. Where he put together all these the, poets. And- the Poets and Poetry of America. And supposedly he had read every single book that had ever been written that had to do with poetry, which is why he claimed to be the authority on this. And when he first, a lot of people don't know this, when he first published it, Poe was not even in the the first edition. So there was some animosity there with Poe was upset that he had left him out of the book. He, He quickly did an edited version and put three of his poems in the second 
uh, edition. But, and, he, and he put him in there because he wanted Poe to give a critique, a, a review of his book. And Poe was still a, a little irked by the whole thing, uh, but he did do a review, but it was a very not so glowing review. So was there an idea that he was, you know, this another magical kind of Tesla guy? Here's this genius that's all alone at the end of his life. Was it played off like that? I don't know, because all of the other the people that wrote about him, like even his friends, didn't really have good things to say about him. Griswold sounds like a nasty person. Yeah. He plagiarized people like he would he wasn't he went on to be an editor for the same platform that Poe had done the Graham something and he would he would plagiarize like whole works of things so i don't don't know and pretty much got away with it because all you know most uh, biographers of poe rely on griswold for their right their you know their uh, writings and so that's a big part of why we get our image of poe even before events at price yeah i mean that that uh the obituary that he wrote was horrible but it was like he'd been waiting he, he was bitter enemies with Poe the whole time. Um, and then when he died, the moment he died, he just pounced. pounced. So it sounds like he was annoyed with them and decided to paint him as this drab, depressed, not very pleasant person at all. They worked together early in Poe's life, and they were kind of partners, I guess, the yeah. editing thing and trying to get American writers to the forefront and helping them develop their styles. And then... They had a big disagreement over uh, certain people that should be included. And, and Poe was a very, you know, and again, I, I'll mention Owen Benjamin is that, you know, he'll, he'll call, call it the way he sees it. And so if somebody wrote something horrible, Poe was going to say, well, that's horrible. But here, there's, this may be some things you can do to, to fix this. Or he told Griswold, uh, this author does not belong in this book. And of course, Griswold had his opinions on that. And, and a lot of people that did end up in that book with a lot of their works were friends of, of Griswold. Right. And they're not any poets that you would recognize or hear from. And actually, Poe commented back then that no one would remember the other poets in this book. Well, what, what you know, I think part of what I would do if I was going to take this apart to de- try to make a determination on actuality, even though the, we, the content is here, no argument. Here it is. We can read it. Poe. Now there's a name. It's I've only heard it once. I've never heard it really renamed, but Griswold, and I may be mistaken here. I think Wold has something to do with sheep shearing or something like that. But here's uh, in just this space where you guys have brought me back to a topic that I haven't thought about since I was much younger than I am now, Edgar Allan Poe. He starts to feel a little bit Tesla-like to me. And while I don't know that for sure, what I know of Tesla at this point is I would say what Tesla was used for, the name Tesla, and it's still being used for on this new car they're pushing out to the world, is it took old ideas that were not special. They were mainstream. They were driving the world. They attributed it to a genius. They played it out, and then they turned around, defamed it, or beat it out, or beat it down in some way. In other words, how could a guy like Tesla have had such great ideas, and the Wizard of Menlo Park beat him out at every turn? In my view, the idea of Tesla is taking those old ideas they need to do away with to have their gasoline and their electric companies and their control systems, and they put it right out, and then they defame it. And in some ways, Poe feels that way to me, though I don't know it for sure. Well, Poe was one one of the first authors to actually make a living off just being an author and an editor. Oh, wow. Yeah. And after he left the Graham's magazine that he was editor there... He would go and, and speak at, at events, and he would uh, he would mock Rufus Griswold in his <laughs> book on poetry. Uh, he even wrote a character into a story that gets dumber after reading Griswold's work. <laughs> so I can see why Rufus, if any of them, if either one of them are real. Well, you know, I think uh, Rufus means red. I think right. Oh uh-huh. yeah. I think Owen would have called Griswold a gamma. Yeah, and uh, Ron Smith was a Poe scholar, a former member of the Poe Museum's board. And he said that Poe, although uh, inarguably mean-spirited, he would do it in jest or in, in an act of literary sport. But instead of ribbing back, Griswold plotted to destroy his foe. Being a gamma, is it implying that you're a long way from alpha? Is that what that is? Yeah, and it's like secret king and 
uh, he's always talking, it must be nice to have, you know, what you got. Right. Envious. And so uh, after Poe's death, uh, Griswold convinced Poe's mother-in-law to sign away the rights to the author's work. And he went on to publish the collected works, but he also attached with that his own story of Poe. And that's where a lot of the stories of the drunkenness and immorality. And so wait a minute, Gris, Griswold right at the death ends up with the rights to the work. Yeah. He got Poe's mother-in-law to sign away the, the rights and, and he published it. He didn't give any of his family members, any of the profits. I don't know, man, it's starting to sound more Tesla like by the second, but I want to end this hour with this important bullet point that closes out hour one. What does Eureka really mean? And you know, I'm sitting there harping on words have meaning. That name means something. Um, these are always such tells. You know, I'm going to veer off for a second. Remember the very interesting and well done clip. There are no trees on a flat earth or something. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Devil's Tower was a tree. Right. Uh-huh. There was so much logic put in it. And when people kept saying, do you accept this? Do you accept this? I had to say no, because looks like is not enough. But in the research I did, I found exact matches to tree ideas in the old, I don't know what it was, Algonquin, some Indian language where there was a bear associated on a tree stump with that particular landmark, but I could do it once. You see, these are the things that start to tell you, yeah, there's something here, but so much of what was presented was, oh, you're an idiot. Can't you tell this resembles this other thing? really quite astonishingly. And so since it resembles this, we have to assume it's true to move on. And then by the time you've established that you're accepting 10 or 11 things on appearance, it builds and builds and builds on a foundation that's never been proven out. And that was the problem I have with it. It's not that I'm saying it's not true. I don't know whether it's true. It's just that I don't accept it because I'm, I'm not going to just enter into a fantasy because it's in, intriguing. But anyhow, back to the point. What does the word Eureka really mean? What is in the word Eureka? And that's, I put that in there basically also to put that out is that I am not completely sure myself, but I talked with a friend of ours that we have named Philippe and he was a, he was a naval linguist. Uh, he actually can read in the, the Greek and Latin and he, I think he even speaks Korean and some other languages. He's a wow, very smart guy. Uh, Philippe Willems, he's uh, ancestry out of Belgium and he lives in Arizona right now, but I tapped into him because he actually, we did a show together just on the word apocalypse one time, which is pretty good. And I got into Eureka with it, with him. And he found this Eureskos, H-E-U-R-I-S-K-O-S. And one of the earliest known usage of it was in the, of course, the tale of Archimedes, but, and then the earlier version was in the Iliad. And I started digging into it and I found some Greek translation sites and you get into Heuristos and the Iliad. And Do you have the line of the Iliad it's pulled from? No, I, I had it on a window and I came home from being on the road and my kids had taken out all my windows. So I got to find that again. But I did find a word, Heuristine, H-E-U-R-I-S-K-E-I-N. And it kind of basically means the way we found it. And so that's when I... I started getting into to thinking about why did Poe name his work Eureka? Because right. that, that was on purpose. There was there was a reason for that. And I'm just wondering, that was part of it his, uh, in Eureka as he's talking about the different ways of going, not being limited to just the a priori and the a, posteri- a, a posteriori way, you know, the A, B way of finding truth and the gatekeepers keep it confined to that is that, you know, that's why. I look at Poe as we have discernment, we have our own intuition, and we we should be able to develop that sense of learning about our creation and he because does we're a part of it. say that in Eureka. Isn't it claimed that in the Greek, Eureka actually means literally, I found it or I something like that, I found something? Right. I something like it. that. And I have that in there with Archimedes because I think there's a, actually, a, getting into the second hour, there's a better tale with Archimedes and that king of Syracuse. Right. There's another name. And I'll tell you a thing that I learned a long time ago. When I was young, there was a Disney movie. It was about King Arthur and Merlin and it was animated, but Archimedes was in there. What I know now is if things like Disney use those things, this relates directly to the reset. This is part of the new narrative to cover up 
the old history that we don't get to know about, that they don't want us to be able to get back to. Um, and I think these are important ideas because I know, again, people are going to take apart Poe, but what else can we add about the Eureka idea? I, I tried to do a search just now to find out Homer's supposed use of Eureka, and I couldn't get an easy return right out of the gate. Yeah, it's kind of hard. That's why I tapped into my friend Philippe because he went into an old English dictionary and that's where I got Eurekos. And that's that's the word that's in the Iliad. So it's it's uh, Eureka is I, it could be an anglicized version of the word. I can't remember how that came out. And it, that's I think that's why when you go down just to the Eureka part that you're going to kind of get blocked. Yeah. Do you know the context of its use in the Iliad? It was something to the effect of I found it. But I can't remember what it was that, that they found. I, I guess that would go without saying, because we just said the Greek means I literally used, I found it, and they're attributing Homer as Greek. So I guess that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Right. Right. All right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up hour one of 377, and then we're going to take a short break and come back and do it all over again. For everybody out there listening, hey, man, if you want to go try to prove Poe was real or he wasn't, do it. This is what we need to do. We need to challenge all these nonsensical narratives and get back to common sense. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether Poe existed or he didn't, other than falling for the lie. If it is a lie, we have the content. But if we begin to realize the supposed author of this content didn't exist, what does that tell us of the content? And so often, I find the content seems to have come from a period beyond my vision of history that's been deprived me that was common damn knowledge. Except in our time, we've fallen from the head to the feet. It seems like only a genius could have produced this. Anyhow, that'll bring hour one of 377 to a close. I hope you join us all at crow777radio.com for hour two, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. <laughs> 